All right, good morning, Ridgepoint Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Man, there is a lot of energy because we are kind of the, the faithful, the people that brave the cold weather. This is, like a, this is like a snow day in Florida. Like if you made it out today, you're legit, you're serious. Uh, poor Susie's like, I wish it was this cold yesterday because she was Mrs. Claus back there, man. She was getting hot. But, but thank you guys for being here, man. Incredible, incredible time yesterday, man. Uh, really, really cool. Thank you for braving the weather and being here. As we're on week two of talking about this idea of a complicated Christmas. And today I get to talk about one of my favorite people I've ever had a chance to meet in my life, a one-legged Indonesian man named Yulip. Now, how does a one-legged Indonesian man named Yulip have anything to do with all with Christmas? When Beth and I were first married, we worked at a place called the Ridge Center outside of a housing project in Largo called Rainbow Village. And for the most part, our function was to work with at-risk children in that area, doing after-school tutoring, and we had a bunch of other stuff we had to help out the community, but our main function was helping out the, the children after school. But one of the things that we did was we also had kind of a, a food pantry where we had, we had different canned food items, but we also had Publix donated a bunch of uh, stuff, kind of daily bread and some different things that we could pass out on almost a daily basis. And, and always knew Yulip uh, would, would come later on in the day because Yulip didn't so much care. He'd get a couple of things for himself, but mostly he wanted to get our stale bread because he wanted to feed the ducks. And I thought, well, that's kind of a noble thing. Like, I kind of pictured Yulip. He's a very happy-go-lucky guy, and, and I'd always know Yulip was coming because he'd come late in the afternoon after everybody was gone, and his motorcycle would come revving up on kind of our drive area, and, and he, before he ever got to the door, he would start yelling out, Day, day! Day. He couldn't say Jay, it wasn't in his language, so he'd say, Day Day, Day Day, I'm here. And I'm like, Yeah, Yulip, I heard you coming up, man, I appreciate that. And, and, and the way Yulip's mind kind of worked was just, it was so different, and I always loved you, so, so joyful. And, and Yulip would always come, like every afternoon, almost, almost without fail. And then, uh, probably a couple of years we were in our time there, a couple of weeks went by and Yulip wasn't there. Now, from time to time, he'd miss a day or two, but for him to miss two or three weeks uh, kind of boggled my mind. He didn't actually live in the housing project. He lived uh, directly across the street, kind of behind this restaurant, and, and, and he'd show up all the time, and, and he wasn't there, and he wasn't there. And after a couple of days, I'm like, I've not seen Yulip, and now it's been a couple of weeks, and Yulip still isn't there. And finally, after a couple of weeks of wondering, I started to get concerned, and finally, after about three weeks, I hear his motorcycle pulling up, and right before the door opens, I hear, day, 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 I'm here, and I got so excited to see Yulip. And I said, Yulip, where have you been? And he said, JJ, I need your help. I was in jail. I'm like, oh, no, Yulip. <laughs> like, I could just see, because Yulip's mind didn't reason like everybody else's. And I said, Yulip, what did you do? He's like, no, no, it wasn't my fault. The police showed up, and they said I had 50 ducks. Now, all this time, I thought he was going to the park to feed the ducks. But he was housing the ducks at his house. And as you can imagine, it starts to stink a little bit and the neighbors complain. And, and he said, JJ, JJ, I got mad. They said I had 50 ducks. He's like, they lie. I only have 15 ducks. I need help. And I said, okay, you look, here's what we're going to do. He said, the neighbors complain. I said, all right, I, I got a plan. Let's, and and I'm, I'm using this story to kind of give a little bit of a picture of how Yulip's mind worked because, because I said, let's, let's come up with a plan Go home, let's get rid of the ducks, and, and let's clean up your house a little bit. I'll come in, we'll take pictures, and I'll actually go. He had another court appearance. He said, I'll go to court with you and kind of help you out through the whole process. He said, okay, okay. Yulip comes back two days later, and he said, JJ, I didn't get rid of all the ducks, but I got rid of 25. 
<laughs> you, you live. Wait a minute. <laughs> you, you, <laughs> you said you had 15. <laughs> you got rid of 25, and there's still some left. Like, <laughs> uh, I got you, Ulip. But that just is, but he was so joyful. Like, he was so joyful. And, and the reason why I share that story to lead into who Ulip was was probably, it was back in, in July of 1999. Uh, he came in, and he wasn't his joyful self. I said, Ulip, what's wrong? I mean, he seemed downtrodden and, and kind of downcast. And what's happening, man? And, and it was that week, and some of you will remember this, but John F. Kennedy Jr.'s plane had crashed and he had died. And for whatever reason, that event marked Ulip in a significant way. And he couldn't understand. He said, he said Jay, now Ulip had actually lost his leg in a motorcycle accident. And he said, Jay, when I lost my leg, I was a bad person. I deserved to die. But John John, he still called him John John. He said, John John, he was a good guy. He shouldn't have died. And he knew that we were a Christian community center. And he came to me saying, I don't understand. How can God let him die and, and let me live? Like, that doesn't make sense to me. And I remember at that point having this conversation and, and trying to reason things out. And, and a little bit in my mind, it kind of blew my mind that Ulip had seen a lot of people die in his lifetime. And yet, for whatever reason, this one death had really, really marked him. And I thought, man, that was, that was really curious to me. That was, that was kind of funny. And, and back then, the answer seemed so simple. But 20 years later, I'm not sure the answer is so simple. See, I was, I was watching something recently. There's this famous astrophysicist. He's an agnostic. And, and he has this line of reasoning. And his line of reasoning basically says, I'm an agnostic. I don't believe that God exists because what I know about God what everyone's told me about God is that God is good and God is powerful. And yet I look at the world around me and I see the calamities and the devastation and I don't see evidence that that's true. Now that's interesting. I like, I like listening to him because it kind of gives us an idea of where people who uh, would come and say, well, I'm not sure about church and Jesus. Like that's where their mindset is. So doing some research, I want us to do this. If, if you have your notes, take your, your notes right now. And at the very top, I have this, statement, God is, and there's an empty blank. I want you to write in that blank the first word that comes to mind when you think of God. What is the one word, or if you need to, two words, but what is the one word that as soon as you think of God, you say God is whatever it is? And go ahead and write that word in. I'll give you a couple of seconds to, to write the word down or maybe think what the word is. And I'm venturing to guess. I'm, I'm just guessing. I have no idea. But I'm venturing to guess that a lot of us wrote the very same word. How many wrote this, God is love? I figured there'd be a lot of that. How many wrote something, God is powerful? Who wrote God is holy? All right. What else do we have? Awesome. There's a lot of awesome. Just. Grace. Now, here's the thing. Almost all of the words that we used were words that really became associated with God after the birth of Jesus because that literally is God, Emmanuel, God with us. See, prior to Jesus, now there's a little bit of that in Old Testament, no doubt. But the world, the complicated world that Jesus was coming into was a world that was dominated mostly at that point by the Romans and the Greeks. Even though the Hebrew people had kind of the religious focus the Romans and the Greek kind of ran the world, and their system of deities and their system of gods were very dysfunctional. 
the words that we just used were not words that would have been associated with the Greek and the Romans gods on a very frequent basis. There would have been dysfunction. There would have been uh, pride and arrogance and, and selfishness. And that's kind of the Roman and Greek deities that we see. And then Jesus comes into this very complicated world, and all of the words that we use, that, that God is love, that God is powerful, that God is just, that God is grace, all of those words that we tend to associate with God, it literally started to change the world's view that this was literally God in the flesh. And that from that point on, from the birth of Jesus, that everything about the way that God related to the world was going to change. You see, the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. That doesn't change. And yet the way that God starts to, to, to work things out, because now grace is here, he's alive, he's living our midst, everything about the way God related to the world changed when he sent his son. And for the next 2,000 years, we gather together on a, on a regular basis, not just because it's Christmas season, because we gather together every Sunday morning, believing that God cares about us so much that he'd send his son, his most precious thing that he has, into this world. God with us, Emmanuel, he'd send his son to come here to earth to live a life and to die a cruel death because he cares about us. And so when we hear people come and say, I, I don't understand how a God who is love and just, we say, well, first of all, the very idea that we agree upon that is only because of who Jesus is. And once we have that as we can agree upon this, our view of God was forever shaped because Jesus came to the earth, that once we have that, that everything about the conversation now has to change. If I could have that conversation with this famous agnostic and I could say, listen, okay, we agree upon that. I believe God is God who is love and he is also God who is powerful. But that also the necessity of him coming to earth is because sin had become so rampant and death with sin that everything from that point on is grace. And I can look at the world and I can see calamity, I can see the difficult times, but I can also look at the world and see the love and the justness that comes and emanates from who Jesus is. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of John, chapter 8. We have a lot to talk through, and, and we're going to read a, a lengthy section of Scripture. I normally don't read this long a section of Scripture, but it's a picture of Jesus coming in literally as the light of the world. That into this very complicated world, a world that was strife with political turmoil and, and religious upheaval, and, and, and culture, was, culture was just kind of going in a very, very bad direction. It's into that very complicated world that Jesus comes. He says, I want to introduce to you who God is, and it's going to be a very different picture of what you're used to. For the Roman and the Greek audience, because with Jesus, the gospel starts to go out, not just to a predominantly Jewish audience, but especially with the advent of, of Paul and his missionary journeys, the message goes out to everybody. And so for them, even though we have 2,000 years of context and we say, wait a minute, Jesus is God, we know that. But for the Roman and the Greek audience, all of this would have been brand new. They would have said, wait a minute, the deities that we've worshipped for so long, we've been afraid of, we've been fearful of because they're prideful and they're selfish but now this one comes who's the epitome of selflessness. He comes to give his life for us. And so to that world that Jesus says these words, in John chapter 8, beginning at verse 12, he says this. And again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He says, listen, 
Listen up, world, for just a second. I want you to get this. I am the light of the world. That into the darkness, the complicated world that Jesus was born into, came this bright light. Into the chaos, he brought order. Into the darkness, he brought light. He says, listen, into this dark world, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not, not, will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. Now, he's talking to a, a direct audience right in front of him who were working against him, and he's going to use some critical words. He says, listen, before I get into how difficult this arrangement is, let me talk about the answer. The answer is on the light of the world that if you're going to follow me, you're not going to continue to walk in darkness, that there's going to be light. Verse 13 says, so the Pharisees, these religious leaders, they said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Now, prior to Jesus, now Jesus is himself God. Prior to Jesus, it was expected that if you're going to give testimony about yourself, that you had to have a witness, somebody else verifying that you were who you said you are or that you did what you said that you did. So the Pharisees come at him with kind of their legalistic understanding of the law, and they said, wait a minute. You're bearing witness to yourself. You, you don't have any other eyewitnesses who are verifying what you claim. And so therefore, your testimony, they're basically saying, and this is the Pharisees who are supposed to be the religious elite. They're looking at God, the one who they had been praying for, and they don't recognize him for being who he says that he is. And so they said, they, they said you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And Jesus' response is this. Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I come from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. Meanwhile, he says, I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. He says, okay, listen, I know that you're following the letter of the law and that someone else has to bear witness to me, but I'm telling you that I and the Father are one, but if you need that other witness, the Father who sent me bears witness about me. Like he says, okay, you, you want to play that game? You want to play the, the pharisaical game? Let's talk about this. I need a witness. God the Father is my witness. What do you have? And he lays it out, and he says, this is the truth. This is who I am. Verse 19 says, they, they therefore said to him, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not come. So he said to them, if, if I go, I'm going away and you'll seek me, you'll die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. He's speaking these words they don't fully understand. He's speaking these words. The Pharisees are like, wait, I thought I was on track. I thought I was following him. And he, he switched the focus. And so verse 22, the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. I don't understand any of this. And so in verse 23, Jesus says this, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I'm not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Circle that verse 24. We're going to come back to that a little bit later. But verse 24, he says something very profound, and, and we'll have to get to that. Verse 25, so they said to him, who are you? 
make it, plain, make it plain to us, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare him to the world that I have not, that I, that I, what I have heard from him. They still don't understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And that I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he is saying these things, it says many believed in him. Now Jesus said some things. Even with 2,000 years of context and us knowing who Jesus is, he says some things in us that on the outside might appear very confusing. But I can't help but wonder, he says at some point, in this, that unless you believe in, in me, you're going to die in your sins. And then he says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you'll know uh, that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority. And I wonder when he spoke these words, the, 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 especially the Pharisees that were there, had no idea what eventually is going to come his way. They had no idea about the crucifixion or any of that stuff. But I wonder at some point, as the Pharisees who were there and had seen him make these claims and then eventually see him have the triumphal entry and, and be put to death on a cross, I wonder at some point, when he's lifted up and put on the cross, if these words didn't kind of come back in the back of their minds. And they said, wait a minute, I remember he talked way back. We had no, no idea what he was talking about. He said something about the Son of Man was lifted up. And then at that point, even in their minds, for some of them it starts to click, it starts to make sense. But he says, up until this point, none of this is, is, is what they're thinking. Up to this point, there are some who believe, but many who do not. But Jesus says to them, I have come into the world, literally to be the light of the world. So what is our response to that? Three things that Jesus calls you and I to do. The same thing he did with his early followers back in John chapter 8, he calls for you and I to do three things that he calls us to do. Number one, he calls us to come out of the darkness. Jesus introduces this idea that he was born into the world. The world was very, a very, very dark place. Uh, biblical experts go back and they study what culture was like. And, and we look at how complicated life is today. How many think life is complicated today? Like it's gotten much more complicated in the last 20 years. We get that. Even with that being true, biblical experts have gone back and said, but the culture Jesus was born into was even more corrupt than it is today. And so Jesus comes and says, listen, I'm going to come into the world as the light of the world. But in verse 12, he doesn't stop there. He says, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So he says, listen, because I go into a dark place, and I'm going to be the light of the world, then if you choose to follow me and watch this church, we have to get this. If we choose to follow him, then it's our responsibility to be a reflection of that light. And that's so difficult. That's so difficult, especially like during the Christmas season, because everyone's uh, moving fast and everyone's panicky and, and people are cutting you off in traffic and, and people are messing at the store. We don't even want to go near the malls anymore. That's why Amazon's doing so well. Uh, and, and we just, we, like, like life is frantic. And it's so easy in the midst of that to get caught up and to get frustrated and to get mad. And Jesus, wait a minute, if you're going to follow me, then you're going to have to be light. Be light literally in the world. 
And we look at that and say, well, I know in the last 20 years, culture's gotten much darker, it's gotten much more corrupt, and it's, it's, life is just more difficult. I get that. And, and I've seen this over and over, not here at Ridge Point, but just over and over across our country, is that there are a lot of people who throw their, they go to church, and they're plugged into church, and they throw their arms up, and they say, man, that just is the way culture is going. I'm frustrated with it. I just give up. And our response as a church should be the very opposite When we look at the world, it seems like the world is getting darker and darker. Our response should be, this is just a better chance for us to shine our light. Because in a dark place, that light is going to shine a whole lot brighter. Man, what an opportunity. Instead of sitting here and 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 feeling sorry for ourselves and say, oh me and oh my, we look and say, what an opportunity. Maybe never in my life have I ever had an opportunity to shine brighter than I am right now. But listen to me, church, we have to get this. A dim light doesn't shine really bright even in a dark spot. Our light has to be, if our batteries are kind of weak and we go to pull that flashlight out and we go to shine and it's not very bright, it doesn't really help us. So into a dark culture, it doesn't matter if the culture is getting darker if our light isn't prepared to shine a whole lot brighter. The first call is for us to to. To, to, to come out of the darkness, to shine the light. Uh, the second thing is to follow me. Jesus had said earlier in verse 12, uh, if you're going to follow me, you have to have the light of light. But I reference this earlier, verse 24, it says, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you'll die in your sins. Now, in, in, in the Bible translations that we have, that's exactly how it's worded. Any translation we have is going to have something similar to that. Because often when you're translating from one language to another, uh, for the smoothness of transition, uh, some words are, are maybe not are, aren't there in, in the original, but because we're going from Spanish to English, we have to add words for it to make sense. Literally, in this text in John chapter 8, when it says, unless you believe that I am, it stops there. There's these Greek words, ego, me, which he says, unless you believe that I myself am. The word he is, is done there for smoothness of transition, to go from, from Greek to English. But literally, when Jesus spoke these words, he says, unless you believe that I am, you have no part of me. And as soon as he references those words, for the Jewish audience that was listening, they knew exactly what Jesus was doing. You see, back in the Old Testament, when, when God sends Moses out to be his ambassador, he says, well, who should I say sent me? And God says, tell them, I am sent you. He uses that phrase. He says, tell them I am sent you. I am that I am. So when Jesus comes in the New Testament, and he says, unless you believe that I am, unless you believe that I am the Father of one, unless you believe that I myself am, then you have no part of me. He was making this theological statement about who he was. Unless you believe that I am, then we're not going to be together. And he has this huge hope and, and this promise of heaven. But he says, unless you believe, then you're not going to have that place. He says, but I want you. And it says that many that day followed him. I want you to come and to follow me. And the third thing, the call that we have, is that we are to shine as lights. We're to shine as lights. I want to share a couple of verses with us, and we're going to show a, a, a video Take notes, write down these two verses. Philippians chapter 2, verse 15. Philippians 2:15 says this: that you may be blameless and innocent, 
Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. He says, church, this is who we're supposed to be. world is corrupt, it's twisted, it's, it's perverse, it's messed up. But in the midst of that generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. That's the call on us as the church to say right now, in the midst of this crooked and twisted generation, we are to come in and to shine as miniature lights to let the world know about the hope of the great light. And then Matthew 5, 14, right down that verse reference as well, it says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. That, that's about us. That's who we're supposed to be, man. When the world looks at us, they say man, they might not be perfect. They might not always get things right. But they're trying their best to be that city on the hill that when people look at them, they say, I know they're not perfect, but I know there's something different about them. Church, we don't always get this right. Every once in a while, we do. Some of you were here last year at this time, December 23rd of last year. Um, when we did something different, we've never done anything like this before. We're going to share the video now of kind of the finished product of, of what happened that night. But we had Karen, our, our new friend we met from Publix, that, that kind of came in that night, had no idea. We found out later on that, that they'd kind of told her, hey, we need you to deliver a cake. And, and she came not prepared to, to come up before the church. You know, she said, I was kind of wearing my, my scrubs. I was hanging out with the family. And, and, and then actually, and, and a little bit behind the scenes, what happened that night was she was bringing a cake. And Clayton's back in the back. And Clayton started to pick up the cake to walk inside. And she's like, all right, thanks. And she was about ready to leave. Not knowing that as a church, we would prayed for her. And, and we were about to do something that we wanted to see would, would just change her life. We don't always get it right, but when we do, there's, there's this, this, this pause of saying, God, I know that you are working, and I know that you're doing something mighty, and we're preparing to do something like this next week. I'll talk about that in just a second, but for those who are here, this will be a good reminder. I watched it this week, and, and I tried to edit it down a little bit, but it's so emotional. I said, I, I can't do that. Uh, so for those who are here, it'll be a good reminder of what happened last year. For those who aren't, this was Christmas of last year. you're here for our Christmas Eve service. We're doing something special tonight. It is kind of a, a stripped back version. We're doing a candlelight service. We'll be lighting candles a little bit later. Uh, but we wanted to, we're, we, throughout this whole series called The Thrill of Hope, we've been talking about the different names of Jesus in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And the last one we'll talk about a little bit later tonight is that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And then when Jesus comes to be peace, but also to offer to you and I as followers of his a chance to have peace and abide in that peace, and offer peace to the world around us. And we said we want to find a way in the 45 minutes to an hour that we have together tonight. We want to find a tangible way to share that peace with a complete stranger. And so there's someone on their way here. We actually had a communication with a local business. We actually worked with Publix here locally. And we said, is there one family this Christmas that we can just kind of blow away with generosity and bless them? Is there a worker that you have that really just needs some extra Christmas love this year? And they let us know about a hard worker at Publix. She's a mother of, of five children, a four that are hers biologically, and one that, that she uh, kind of took on when the child was abandoned, took on as her own. And we've heard incredible things about her story. And the thing is, she has no idea that we're doing this. But in about 30 minutes, she's going to be coming here to deliver a birthday cake for Jesus, having no idea that we're about right now to take up an offering and to give it to her as a tip for coming here to Ridgepoint Church 
and delivering that cake. And so later on tonight, she's going to walk through the doors, deliver the cake, and she's going to have no idea we're doing this. And it all has to happen kind of quickly. We're going to take up an offering tonight. Now, if you're coming regularly, Chris is going to give you the details as to how to do this and how to make sure it's marked for the right person or to the church or whatever. But we just want to be able to blow away our community with the, with the practical love of Jesus. And so her name's Karen, and she's going to be coming here in a little while. And at some point when she's here, we're going to bring her up front. I'm asking you to go crazy for her and cheer for her. Uh, and then Chris is going to share how uh, you, you're able to give towards that. And then when we pray for the offering, we're also going to pray for her specifically. So Chris, share those details. He's not just the, the guy who knows a little bit about peace. He's not just coming and saying, hey, I, I got a little bit of that peace stuff down. But he comes saying, I am the Prince of Peace. The right in the midst of the challenges that we face, that we can be peace. And so today, right now, we want to celebrate that. We want to celebrate the birthday of Jesus. We actually have a cake to celebrate the birth of Jesus. And so if you guys would bring this down front, we actually, this is from our favorite bakery of all, the Publix Bakery. So everybody give it up for Publix. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Now, you're actually from Publix, correct? Do you mind coming up here for just one second? I don't want to embarrass you if, if that's going to make you uncomfortable, but I just want to find out a little bit about this cake. So can we do that? Yeah. I'm, I'm JJ, by the way. How are you? All right. Do you mind taking a microphone? Would that be okay? I know you didn't plan this at all, <laughs> did you? You're like, what is going on right now? Uh, I'm Jay. What's your name? Karen. If you don't want to, Karen, it's fine. Karen? No, I'm good. Okay, come on up here then, Karen. Everybody give it up for my new friend, Karen. Man, this is everybody. So, so Karen, you mind taking that there? I know, I know. It's, it's nerve-wracking, and I do this like every week. I do this every week. Uh, I decorate cakes in the corner. So, so you work in the bakery yeah. in the corner. Ten years. No, ten years at the Publix right here. Every day. That is awesome. They, I'm not kidding. I'm not saying it just because you're here. They make the absolutely best cakes yeah. there are out there. So, Karen, did, did you actually make this cake? Did you make this no. cake? No, you didn't. Because if you made this cake, I have a feeling it would have been even better. Okay, that's, that's what I'm told, at least, okay? So you worked there for 10 years. Christmas is right around the corner, right? Are you ready for Christmas? You're getting there, huh? It's, it's two days away, so if we're not ready, yeah. we have basically tomorrow to make that happen. So do you have kids at home? I have five. Five kids. <laughs> so you have a lot of Christmas to get ready for. That's right. Uh, so that's awesome. I hope you have a wonderful Christmas. Uh, I know, like, I used to actually work for Publix, not around here. I used to work in, in St. Petersburg, but I worked at Publix. I know they have a general policy about not giving out tips, right? Absolutely. We're not supposed to give you a tip. Is it okay if we give you a tip tonight? Is that okay? I mean, this is different circumstances. We're not going to tell anybody. Don't look at those people over there. They're, they're not going to know. Is it okay? We actually cleared this actually with your management. Because we want to be able to do something tonight for our community. We believe as a church that we can make a significant impact in our community. And so we've been working with your management, kind of finding out some stories happening in the store. And we found out a little about your story. And we said, as a church, we want to do a couple of things. Uh, so this all happened tonight. Our people came in tonight having no idea we're going to do this. There you go. <laughs> That's Glenda right there. And Glenda says you rock. And, and a little bit earlier, uh, we prayed for you as a church. We said, God, we don't know anything about you other than you're coming here delivering a cake and you had no idea we're going to do this. But we prayed for you as a church and we actually said we want to be able to collect an offering and give you as a, as a tip tonight. 
And so a couple of things. First of all, we have a great business partner that works with us as well. We have a great relationship uh, with Winter Haven Chick-fil-A. And so they found out about what we're, what they're, what we're doing. Uh, so they actually gave us, this is not a chicken sandwich, unfortunately. <laughs> but it is full of gift cards and stuff for your family. So maybe as you're out shopping tomorrow, you could take your family out and, and have some, some Chick-fil-A on, on them. But also we took up an offering. And, and literally, I didn't find out about, about what the offering was until about 30 seconds ago or so. But we took up an offering, and the church is finding out for the first time that what we're going to give you tonight is a gift to let you know that you matter to God, and because you matter to God, you matter to us. We're going to give you a tip right now of $1,555. You can sit down if you want to sit down. That's fine. You don't have to say anything at all. We just want to let you know that, that God cares about you, and for some reason, He wanted you to have this this year. Thank you. Can you even say it? Thank you so much. Enough. You can go ahead if you, if you want to. You know that we love you and care about you. And that's yours? You. Absolutely. I need to help you down the stairs. I'm afraid we're going <laughs> to. Okay, someone come and help her out just to make sure that. <laughs> Everybody, one more time, give it up for Karen. Wow. You know, there's the, the point of that video. If you didn't pick up what was going on, uh, we're confused. Like, I was confused because on stage, and we're waiting for her to get here. And, and I, I was waiting for people to walk in that I knew she was there. And I saw the two Publix workers come in. And I thought for a second one of them was, was the, but it's actually the management team. And so they're standing over here kind of watching and videotaping themselves. And so when she looks over and kind of is like, that's the first time she's like, wait a minute. So, something else is going on here. Uh, but I, I love when, the, when, when, when we get that, when we know, man, this is what we're called to do. We're called to be generous. And the way the church responded that, that day was, was so profound. And just when we do that right, we literally sign as life as Jesus calls us to. Uh, so here's what's going to happen. We're giving us a little bit of a, a forewarning. We're going to do things a little bit different this year. Um, but, but next week, we're actually going to be taking up a similar offering. We've heard about a family in our community. I'm going to ask you to, for right now, keep us under wraps. But it's a family we've heard about that is, is in serious need this holiday season. Uh, because we're doing service times different, we're not going to be able to do it live in that service. We're going to do it. Uh, we're going to do it via video, so everybody kind of sharing what's going to happen. But next week, we'll take up that offering. We'll share the family story and kind of talk through what that's going to look like. But here's the thing: when Jesus calls us, let us wrap this thing up. When Jesus calls us to to do this, the response has to be okay. Then, then what do I do from this point on? I know I'm supposed to shine as a light. But what, what can I do? Like, like I'm one person, and, and, and I don't know, like, like, what is the impact that I can make? And so we're asking you, as you leave here today, three things we're asking you to do. Everybody that walks in our service, first service and second service, we're asking you to do three things this week. First of all, and this one has to happen a little bit more quickly. Actually, the second one has to happen more quickly. The first one, pray, invite people to the Christmas Eve service. On the way out, uh, right in the back, in the back there, there's a, a, a basket full of invite cards. 
Now on the front is the Christmas on Hatfield logo. On the back is all the service times and information about the services. Uh, They're wrapped up in bands of 20. We want everyone to take one of these today and make it our goal over the next week to invite 20 people to join us for Christmas Eve services. If you think you can do more than 20, by all means, take more than 20. But if, <laughs> Kevin, I knew you are going to be ready for that, man. Uh, but by all means, take some invite cards. Invite family and friends to be here for one of our three Christmas Eve or Christmas Eve Eve services. Number two, this is one that has to happen a little bit more quickly. Uh, we're looking for individual ways to shine light. And so just in the next 24 hours... We want you to find an opportunity. Maybe you'll be at Starbucks getting a a drink of coffee, or maybe you'll be out at lunch, and you say, man, I'm going to buy someone else a a cup of coffee, or I'm going to pay for their lunch. In the next 24 hours, which is giving us a short time frame to do it, I want us to find a way to to show love to an individual that that is a complete random stranger. Uh, So in the next 24 hours, find a way. Tomorrow afternoon, we're going to be shooting our mixed video and I know not everybody can get, on, can get on live Monday afternoon, so if you're not there live, that's fine. But I just want to hear some stories in the mix of what were some things that you did in the last 24 hours to show love to our community in a very, very practical way. And then number three is to come prepared next week uh, to help out this family that's in need. We'll hear their story next week. And then pray, say, God, do big things through me. Because at the end of the day, we don't do this so that we can get a, a big name about ourselves or to pat ourselves on the back. We do this because we believe God calls us to shine his lights in the world. We do it because we say, God, you're doing all of this anyway. We're just thrilled to be used as part of your story. A couple of years ago, I think it was actually the first year that I came on as, as lead pastor at Rich Point, we did something similar to this. The whole, the whole series is kind of about practical ways to love our community. And one of the things I challenged us to do one of the weeks of, of that year was, if you're out at lunch, just find a way to show a particular level of gratitude to your, to your waitress or waiter, whoever your server is. And I remember that as I prepared for that, I knew it was coming, but the Friday night before that message, my family, had got, my family and I had gone out, I think it was actually after the, one of the parades or something that had taken place, and we went out with some family friends out to Denny's over here on Cypress Gardens. And we're there, and I kind of told my wife about what we're planning on doing that Sunday. And we sat down, and I had not anticipated uh, doing it while we were at Denny's. I said, we'll find some time in the next week after the challenge is issued. But we sat down, and I remember the the waitress was just very uh, aware, very, like, took care of her family. My daughter was with us. She was a little bit younger, and she was taking time to talk to my daughter and engage her. And she's doing a really, really good job. Only the people in the booth right behind us didn't think so. And they'd called management over, and they complained about their waitress and, and, and said a bunch of things about her. And, and they ended up, the, the, the manager came over and actually had comped their meal. And, and I'm listening to it, and the stuff they're saying, I'm like, like, it wasn't even really that big a deal. But they were just being very, oh, man, it's the holidays. They're being very critical. And, and, and the manager was very upset, obviously. And they, they said, hey, even have, here's free dessert. Next time you come, I'll make sure you don't have her as a waitress. I was like, man, I was, I was so discouraged. I'm like, she's really been great. She's been very, like, she's filling our refills and everything very quickly. And, and I felt terrible. So I turned to my wife and I said, this is the moment we're supposed to do this. And the neatest thing was that the restaurant had pretty much emptied out and were some of the last people that, that were there. And, and so we walked up to the counter. And I love the way God worked this whole thing out because the manager who had had to deal with all this mess was the one who ended up bringing us up. And you know, normally they, they print the receipt off and then you have to write in your tip. 
Well, for whatever reason, the manager didn't do that. The manager asked, what kind of tip would you like to leave? I said, okay, you want to know? And I told him. And he kind of like did like a double take. He's like, well, she'll, she'll be glad about that. I said, yeah, she, she actually did a great job. And he kind of had a little bit of a conversation about, yeah, the people behind you didn't think so, so much. I said, I, I, said, I know. And it was one of those situations where when we pray, it was nothing, this isn't, it wasn't anything special about us. But we pray for the right opportunities. And at that point, God says, all right, I'm going to realize that opportunity for you. I'm going to do all those things for you. Why? Because he's the one that calls us to shine his lights. He says, listen, Jesus comes into the world as the light of the world. That what we celebrate this Christmas is light coming into darkness. And as he pierced the darkness, he calls each one of us to be just a small reflection of what he's already done. We don't always do that. But when we do it well, the world sits up and takes note. Let's pray together. Father, you've tasked us with a high calling. Jesus has come into the world to be the light of the world. And God, that truth is just as important today as it was 2,000 years ago. Our world just as much needs that today as it did 2,000 years ago. God, Jesus is still the light of the world, but he calls us to be a reflection of that light, to let the world around us know how much they matter, and to shine our little bit of light that's reflecting off of his great light into this very dark place. God, let, us, let, let our batteries this morning be charged. Let our light be bright. And God, as we look at sometimes the desolation that is this world, God, I pray that we look at this and we seize this opportunity because you are the reason we exist. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.